G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. How is it that some respond to the gospel and others don't? Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out something from the New Testament. Here's Judas, exposed to all the miracles, all the teachings, the perfect example of Christ. And while the others were having their lives changed, his heart was getting darker and harder, reminding us of the truth of the statement, the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. It's on you, because you choose how you will react. This is the day when the lost are found. with decisions every single day. The most important decision is whether we choose the narrow path that leads to righteousness or the wide path that leads to destruction. And today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that two people can be exposed to the same truth, the same wisdom, given the same choice, and each makes opposite decisions. It's a look at man's free will and the strong pull of sin. Today's study is based in the Gospel of John. The title of my message is, Why Does God Allow Evil? Grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 13. This man that we're gonna look at uh, committed the worst crime imaginable. He betrayed and sold out Jesus and he had a hand in the cold-blooded murder of the very Son of God. I'm talking about Judas Iscariot. Uh, And it's hard to believe that a man could do such a horrible thing. Yet, as we will discover, out of this act of pure evil, the greatest good came for all of humanity. Because though Judas betrayed Christ, we'll tell you why in a few moments, but his heart was evil and Satan entered his heart and, and there was greed involved. And But though he betrayed Christ and it was his desire to stop the ministry of Jesus, in fact, he helped to fulfill the ministry of Jesus because Jesus had come expressly to this earth to voluntarily die on the cross for the sin of the world. So Judas didn't realize he was helping to fulfill God's plan, but indeed he was. But his very name is synonymous with evil and treachery. Judas is the traitor's traitor, and his life ended miserably in suicide because he sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So let's read from John 13. I'm reading verses one to nine. And by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Then Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, not just my feet. Okay, we'll stop there. Verse one, what a powerful opening verse. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus, knowing his hour had come to leave this world, to return to his Father, he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loves them to the very end. With Calvary closing in and all the pressure it brought, this is such a touching picture of Christ. He's down on his hands and knees, washing their feet, loving them to the end. The disciples were alone with Jesus this night. The crowds are not present. And this is the Last Supper. <laughs> Here's the problem. When we think of the Last Supper, we think of the painting by Leonardo da Vinci, the great painter. Uh, a race that I did from your mind, that's not the way it looked. It would have been a low-slung table. They would have been sitting on pillows, probably reclining, and maybe in sort of a semi-circular fashion, and they would have various bits of bread uh, that they would dip in various kinds of sauces, sort of like chips and salsa, if you will. That's actually what it was like. And uh, so it was a very casual thing. Uh, they would eat olives, they would eat dates, they would eat bits of fish and so forth. And that's what a meal would look like. And a meal was long, it was leisurely, it wasn't formal with cutlery in front of you. You know, that's what you call it if you're from England, cutlery. And uh, no, it, it was very casual and relaxed and you would eat with your hands, you would share the food. So this is what a meal looked like. And this is what the Last Supper actually looked like. And Jesus now does something that shocks everyone. He, he gets out a basin of water and starts to wash their feet. Now this, by the way, was done customarily by the servant of the house. So when you would walk in wearing your sandals or whatever and you had all the dirt and dust all over your feet, the servant would come and wash your feet before you came into the house. But who is doing this? Not a servant, but Jesus himself washing their feet. But why would Jesus even do this to start with? Well, he was demonstrating what he taught. He said, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all. So he's showing them what it means to love one another, but yet in Luke's gospel account of this story, an argument broke out as to who would be greatest in his kingdom. Can you see it? Here's this very heavy night it's going to be the last meal he ever has with his disciples. He's washing their feet. They can see the Lord's under stress, but they think that'd be a good time to argue about who will be greatest in the kingdom. Just like little kids, aren't they? And uh, so that's what the backdrop is against this story. They were missing the point. But now we go to verse 21 of John 13. Now Jesus was deeply troubled. And he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another. 
wondering whom he could mean, and the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. By the way, that's John. John describes himself in his gospel as the disciple that Jesus loved. I like that, by the way. That might sound boastful, oh, the disciple Jesus loved. No, it'd be boastful if he said the disciple that loved Jesus. He didn't boast of his love for Jesus. He boasted of Jesus' love for him. And you know what? You're the disciple Jesus loves too. He loves you, just like he loved John. So the disciple whom Jesus loved was sitting next to him. And Simon Peter mentioned to him, what's he talking about? I love that. What's he talking about? What does this even mean? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and said, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And when Judas had eaten the bread, underline this, Satan entered him. When he had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. Jesus told him, hurry up and do what you're gonna do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling them to go and pay for the food or give money away to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Stop there. Well, talk about dropping a bombshell. Look at verse 21 again. Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The word that is used here for trouble is interesting. It's the same word uh, to describe Jesus standing at the grave of Lazarus and weeping. He was troubled by that scene. It's also the same term used in John 12, 27 as he thought about the coming dread of the cross when he said, my heart is troubled. See, Jesus was always the one who was the stable person to look to in the midst of a crisis. He was always the one that had the answer. He was always the one that had the calm in the midst of the storm. So when Jesus was troubled, that caused everyone to be alarmed. You ever heard the expression, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? You know? And if Jesus is troubled, everyone's a bit unnerved. Because if it unnerves Jesus, what does that mean to us? Well, why was Jesus troubled? Well, he was troubled because of what was about to happen. He wasn't troubled for himself. He was troubled for another. Believe it or not, he was troubled over the soul of the one who was about to betray him. The disciples did not know Judas was the man yet. Christ had not ID'd him. But Jesus knew, and they understood now that there's a traitor in their midst. And it's interesting when he says, one of you is gonna betray me, they all say to a man, is it me? If Judas was as obvious as we think, they all would have stood up in unison and pointed to him and said, it's Judas, isn't it? The guy in the black leather robe. We always knew it was him. <laughs> and he had that evil goatee he grew out and laughed like, you know, we knew it was him. No, that was, no one thought of Judas. They thought of themselves. Could it be me? And now Jesus responds in verse 26, it's the one I give the bread to that I'm dipping in the bowl. And he dipped it and gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. By the way, Judas was sitting at the left hand of Jesus, which in this culture was the place of honor. The Lord probably asked Judas to sit in the place of honor that night and probably blew Judas's mind a little bit because he knew what he was about to do. And Jesus says, here, Judas, come up here. Sit, sit right next to me. 
place of honor. Does he know what I'm about to do? Oh, yeah, he knew what you're going to do for sure. And, um, but what was Jesus doing? He was offering love to Judas. Here's effectively what he was communicating. I know what you're about to do, and I still love you, and it breaks my heart, and you don't have to do it. See, Judas had a free will he could have exercised, but he chose evil. He could have just as easily turned away. Christ would have forgiven him up to the last moment. In fact, later in the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus has been arrested, Judas comes with the temple guard in tow to apprehend him, and Jesus says, friend, why have you come? Friend? Excuse me, that's Judas. You already ID'd him as your betrayer. But Jesus was offering to Judas one last chance to repent. Thanks for joining us for A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in the U.S. Today, we're looking at the power of free will as Pastor Greg draws insight from Judas' betrayal of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Let's continue. Jesus would have forgiven Judas Iscariot if he had repented right there on the spot, but that is not what Judas was about to do. And apparently Judas now passed the point of no return because look at verse 27. When he ate the bread, Satan entered him. Those are ominous words. We read in the Gospels about people being possessed by demons. You know what? Demon possession is real. Demons are real. Demons are powerful. But the good news is, is when you become a Christian, you're under divine protection and no demon can possess you. Demons can tempt you. Demons can harass you. Uh, they can attack you, but they cannot possess you. It is only the non-believer that can be possessed by a demon. And when Christ lives inside of us, there can be no demons. Jesus is not into a timeshare program. When he enters your heart, he's a sole occupant. Okay, but here's Judas. He wasn't demon-possessed. He was Lucifer-possessed. The big guy himself, Satan, entered his heart, which helps us understand he's on another level of evil. And I bring this up because sometimes people want to paint Judas as a victim. Poor guy, he was just a pawn in the hand of God. And you know, God knew that Jesus would die on the cross and someone had to bring it about. So God just made Judas do this. He had no choice. Nonsense. He had plenty of choice. And he was handpicked by Jesus and he was loved by Jesus, but he made this horrible choice. In fact, the only person who would ever equal Judas in wickedness would probably be the Antichrist himself. Antichrist is sort of like the son of the devil. And uh, Judas is pretty much the same thing. But here is a clear pattern of the deception of sin even to the most knowledgeable of people. It's worth noting that Judas was so effective in his lie and so cunning and so skillful an actor, no one even suspected him until Jesus made it clear he was the one. As I said earlier, Judas fooled everyone but Jesus. Know this, you can fool all of the people some of the time. You can fool some of the people all of the time. But you can't fool God any of the time. So Jesus had Judas's number. He knew what was going on. But it's really incomprehensible that a man with such opportunity could so squander it. I mean, think about Judas for a moment. Judas Iscariot. 
And I don't know why, but whenever I have his name in one of my Word documents and I go through spell check, they always want to take his last name, Iscariot, and turn it into Escargot. <laughs> Who knows why? So maybe that's the French Judas, right? Judas Escargot. Snails with garlic. So Judas Iscariot. He spent every waking hour walking and talking with God incarnate. What a privilege that was. I mean, sometimes non-believers will say, well, the reason I'm not a Christian is because there's hypocrites in the church. And by the way, I don't buy that. I think that's an excuse, not a reason. And to sort of illustrate that, do you think Jesus was ever a hypocrite? Do you? No, he never was. Jesus was literally perfect. Jesus never lost his temper. Now he was angry when he drove the people out of the temple, but that was righteous indignation. Jesus never said an unkind thing. Jesus never told a lie. Jesus never had a single thought out of harmony with the Father. In fact, Jesus said, I always do the things that please the Father. And I couldn't say that, could you? But Jesus could. He was the perfect example. Yet not only did Judas not believe, but he turned against Christ, selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. And he was one of the original 12. Listen, Judas Iscariot heard with his own ears the Sermon on the Mount. Judas Iscariot saw Lazarus resurrected from the dead. Judas Iscariot saw Jesus walking on the water. Judas Iscariot saw the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. And Judas Iscariot also heard the teaching of the Lord when he talked about the wheat and the tares together. And how the tares look like the wheat, but they're not the wheat. And they uproot the wheat. And they're imitations of the wheat. And that would have certainly applied to him but instead of turning to God, he became filled with anger and jealousy and bitterness. So here's Judas, exposed to all the miracles, all the teachings, the perfect example of Christ. And while the others were having their lives changed, his heart was getting darker and harder, reminding us of the truth of the statement, the same sun that softens the wax hardens the clay. The same sun that makes a living tree grow dries up the dead tree. And the same gospel message that transforms one drives another into sin. I, I can't explain it. But you can have two people sitting in a pew or in seats next to each other. One hears the gospel, they believe their life has changed. The other folds their arms, says, it doesn't make you nervous you're folding your arms. Yeah, you are though, you are, but it's okay. You're probably cold. There's a lot of air conditioning here. Yeah, I know. But um, all the people folding their arms like, close. But you know, the person who's not responsive, I don't mean you, I know you're responsive, but uh, you're sitting up close, right? That says it all. Now the people in the back, uh, those <laughs> who are folding their arms even worse, huh? No, but seriously, one can hear it, it changes their life, another hears it, and, and they get harder in their sin. It's kind of an amazing thing, actually. And truthfully, that's all on you. It's not on the gospel. The gospel is true. It's not on the Bible. The Bible's alive and powerful. It's not on God. It's on you. Because you choose how you will react. You choose what kind of soil your heart is. You choose it to be receptive soil to the seed of God's Word, or you choose to have soil like concrete to God's Word. It's all up to you. So that was Judas, exposed to the truth. 
Pastor Greg Laurie sharing some great insight, pointing out how our free will plays a pivotal role in our choices and the direction we lead our lives. Next time on A New Beginning, tune in as Pastor Greg shares further insight from this message called Why Does God Allow Evil? Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called, Why Does God Allow Evil? If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast. Or for a copy on CD, contact Vision Christian Store. Call 1-800-005011 or online at visionstore.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.